0: Today's episode is brought to you by Mazars. Sound Cartel. You're ready to negotiate an important deal with an honest and open plan. Suddenly, you're cornered by dirty negotiating tactics that leave you disarmed and on the defensive. Now, what do you do? From Sound Cartel, I'm Nicole Goodman, and this is Business Essentials Daily. What you hoped would be a win-win has become a win-lose. And guess what? You're the loser. It happens often, says Joel Gershman of CMA Learning, a company that offers training in negotiation and conflict resolution. Joel has written and spoken often about the dirty tricks that go on around the negotiating table. But he tells Heather Dawson there are simple countermeasures to ensure you don't get caught. So, what kinds of tricks are we talking about? You'll probably recognise them.
1: One example is where people bring multiple people to the meeting. You think it's just you going up against another person and you find that you're facing five people. That can be one example of a, an intimidation tactic that people use. Other examples are sitting you in a low stool to create a, a power differential, sitting you facing the sunlight. Sunlight goes in your eyes that frazzles you. Perhaps you're not as focused, able to concentrate, able to make the right kinds of decisions. It could be insisting on meetings taking place at their office so that they have what you might call home ground advantage. And then it can become even more aggressive and hostile where people kind of talk over you, force their view on you, or even become highly angry and hostile. We sometimes call that the madman strategy. (laughs) But you can neutralize these tactics, you say? Absolutely. And I think, first of all, it helps to realize that virtually all intimidation tactics operate at the subconscious psychological level. So if you don't realize they're happening to you, then they can actually exert quite a powerful influence over you. Once you recognize that it's happening, there are a couple of different things you could do. One example is what I call deliberate ignorance. That's where you simply ignore the intimidation tactic, right? You you act confidently, you show you're not intimidated by it, and by doing that, their ploy has failed. It hasn't impacted you. Another example is to, a little bit more robust, is to actually call them on the strategy, you know, politely and respectfully, but if you explicitly point out that the tactic's happening, it can neutralise it. So, for example, if someone's getting angry and, and hostile and you suspect that this is a deliberate ploy, you could simply point it out by saying, look, I can see that you're getting very angry and upset. I don't know if that's a deliberate attempt to intimidate me, but if it is, I just want you to know that it's not going to have that impact on me. I'm going to make a decision based on what is in my interests.
2: Now another underhand trick in negotiating is artificial deadlines that can put you at a disadvantage. What can you do if you're presented with a, an apparently unmovable deadline?
1: Again that that is a, a tactic that people sometimes use and and research has made it quite clear that deadlines can affect your outcome because they make you feel pressured to doing a deal and as a result you're more likely to come up with make a concession. Again, a couple of different ways you could deal with that. One is similar to the one I just mentioned, and that's just to call them out on it, explicitly point it out. If you feel that there is a, a deadline ploy afoot, that is, as opposed to a, a real deadline, you just call them on it, right? The, the intention here is not to start making accusations, but let your counterpart know that the deadline is not going to make you be more likely to concede. On the contrary, it's probably going to have the opposite effect, and as a result, Please don't use that as a, a strategy. The other thing you can do is if you believe that the deadline is genuine, not all deadlines are, are dirty tricks, then you can negotiate the deadline, right? It's like a mini negotiation within the broader negotiation. And the idea is to put your focus on finding an outcome that benefits both you and your counterpart. Perhaps some aspects could be negotiated now and some could be left for later and so on. What about the
2: um, take it or leave it tactic, Joel. That can stop you in your tracks, can't it?
1: Uh, Absolutely. And this is quite a common one. You know, you imagine your counterpart puts an offer on the table and says, if you don't accept it, well, the deal's off. You know, take it or leave it. And I usually recommend that rather than hitting back with your own, you know, equally stubborn demand or simply capitulating and giving in to their demand, there's a third approach. And I recommend trying to diagnose what we call their interests, in other words, what are the underlying needs and concerns of your counterpart? And once you understand them, seek to jointly develop options that meet their needs. So just to give you a, a simple example, let's say you're negotiating with your boss over getting a raise and you know they reject your proposal and they say, no, nope, our offer stays the same, take it or leave it. So you could ask, why are you not willing to give me a raise? In other words, what are your underlying needs and concerns? And it could be a range of things. It could be due to budget. It could be due to your performance. Whatever the reason is, once you get the answer, you can look for options. If, For example, if it's a budget issue, you could talk about when the budget might open up. Or maybe there are some non-financial benefits that they could give you, like time off or shorter hours, et cetera. If it's a performance issue, you could talk to them about setting targets, that you need to meet in order to be able to get that raise, and so on. The options are literally infinite once you understand what the underlying concerns are.
2: Okay, now it goes back a little bit to your thoughts of uh, being confronted by five or six people, or you might be confronted with the good cop and the bad cop. That's a strategy in negotiating that can be very annoying.
1: Absolutely, this is an interesting one, and perhaps I can tell you a bit about my one of my own experiences facing this. So after my wife and I had our fourth kid we realized it was time to buy a new car. We needed a, you know, a seven or eight seater. And um, we went to the car yard. And by the way, this is one of my favorite contexts because I love trying out all my new negotiation strategies when I'm dealing with people I'll probably never see again. Um, <laughs> and we arrived at the car yard. I looked at a particular car and I said to the, the dealer, "You know, how much for the car? And he takes a look at me and he says, you know what? Because I like you, I'll knock $1,000 off the price. But let me tell you, that is a good deal, right? If I tell my manager about this deal, he's probably going to try and take it off the table. So if you want this, you better take it pretty quickly because he's been known to take these kinds of deals off the table. Now, what's happening here is he is playing the good cop, so to speak, and his manager is playing the bad cop. He's trying to create an alliance with me against the manager in order to convince me to, to accept the deal. Now, what do you do in the face of those strategies? Again, similar to many of the dirty tricks, one simple way to deal with that is just to point out your awareness of the strategy and politely request that they rethink their approach. That way you let them know you're not up for trickery, which requires them to change tune. And indeed, that's exactly what I did. And did you get a good deal? Absolutely.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, Joel, you've recently written about more common negotiating tricks and how to manage them. Last minute cold feet... Can you give us an example of uh, what this sets up to achieve and how you can
1: counter it? Sure. This happens when, you know, you've arrived at what you consider to be a final agreement, final deal. But in the last minute, they say, oh, actually, we're not ready. Uh, We can't do the deal right now. So in this case, your counterpart is hoping that you'll make additional concessions rather than lose the deal. And my suggestion is rather than starting to make additional concessions, your best strategy is to dig deeper, to find out, to determine if this is a real if there's a real issue at play here for them. Or if you're simply being taken for a ride. So for example, if they say, look, we're questioning whether the deal is the right thing for us to do at the moment, you might say, well, what's making you question the deal? And if they say something legitimate like, you know, it's too expensive, you can then negotiate it. Well, okay, it's too expensive. Well, why don't we reduce the scope or a range of other options that you could propose? And if they don't have a clear answer to that question, that's a sign that it could well be a tactic. And once you've called it, again, it loses much of its impact.
2: Then there's the unreasonable requests often thrown in at the last minute.
1: I like to think of this as the um, the more aggressive cousin to the uh, cold feet strategy. Mm-hmm. It's where you're, you know, approaching a final deal and they throw in a highly unreasonable demand. You know, I'm sorry, but if you want to do business with us, you must cease doing business with our main competitor, for example. Here, the idea is to concede on their new fabricated request as a bargaining chip to extract real concessions from you, and in response again, like with many of the strategies we've talked about, I'd simply call their bluff. All right? You could say, look, given that we can't make that commitment to you right now, I get the impression that you're not really interested in buying. Is that right? And if they are interested, you'll be surprised how quickly they'll recant on that <laughs> request.
0: <laughs> that was CMA Consulting co-founder Joel Gershman. Business Essentials Daily is a Sound Cartel podcast. Executive producer is Heather Dawson. Producers are Nick Schilberger, Chris Ashmore, and myself. Technical production by Pete Letts and Belinda Trimboli. I'm Nicole Goodman. Thanks for listening. We'll bring you more Bee Daily next week. Sound Cartel. This episode was brought to you by Mazars. To find out more, visit mazars.com.au. That's mazar